Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Hey, how you doing? It's Friday. You made it through, you made it through another week. Yay! And uh, man, oh man, it has been an exciting week politically. Uh, where, where, let's see, where did I see this? Somebody that I was reading on, uh, social media, uh, listed, uh, a social media account where, uh, somebody had posted all the different names that George Santos, ah, yes, uh, it's a social media account of Andrew Kaczynski. Here's what he wrote. Researching George Santos for a couple of weeks now, on and off, and I think this is every name I've encountered uh, him to use. Anthony Santos, George Santos, Anthony DeVolder, George Anthony DeVolder, George DeVolder, George A.D. Santos, Anthony Zabrowski, George Anthony Santos hyphen DeVolder. This man was named by Kevin McCarthy. Well, one of these men, maybe all of these men, I don't know, were put on two different committees by Kevin McCarthy. Does that make you feel really good about your government? I mean, forget the fact that Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert are on oversight. Yes, we have given them the power to initiate investigations. I say, where the heck did Anthony Zabrowski come from? Okay, all the other names are like combinations of either George or Anthony or Santos or DeVolder in all different kinds of permutations. And then all of a sudden out of... Thin air, there's Anthony Zabrowski. And yet, you know, the have you heard the tsunami of voices from the Republicans in Congress outraged that this man is in their midst and demanding that he be expelled? No, you haven't heard that because it hasn't happened. And it won't happen. If this lunatic were a Democrat, Fox News would be going on about this literally 24-7. But this is the world we live in, where uh, George DeVolder, Anthony DeVolder, Anthony Zabrowski, Anthony Santos, George Santos, George Anthony Santos DeVolder, he's a congressman. He's a congressman, and um, while the Republican Party in the county where he was elected, Nassau County in New York, they have been, not only have they been vocal, but they have been rabidly, angrily vocal. They're angry that this guy's in Congress. This is, these are Republicans in Nassau County who you might think would take the Kevin McCarthy path of let's just keep quiet about this. It's a vote for an R. You know, he may not be the best guy, but he's our guy. No. Nassau County, Republican Party, multiple folks 
leading that organization have said, this guy's got to be kicked out of Congress. This guy's got to be kicked out of the party. This guy is not welcome at any of our functions. He is not welcome at any of our meetings. As far as we are concerned, he doesn't exist to us. And wasn't it wonderful that Kevin McCarthy just validated those folks and said, I agree with you. He's an embarrassment. We got to get rid of him. No, nope. Nope, 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 nope. Kevin McCarthy is like, well, you know what? What we'll do is we'll just put him on a couple of the, you know, the lower profile, you know, kind of the B team committees where he can't really, you know, he won't really have any kind of profile. Because Kevin McCarthy needs every vote he can get. And George Santos is a vote for whatever Kevin McCarthy wants. And that is all that Kevin McCarthy cares about. He is very Trumpian in that way. Whenever you want to try to figure out what Kevin McCarthy is going to do or not do, say or not say, look at it through the lens of what is good for Kevin McCarthy to stay in power. And that is, you can put money on that avenue being the path he takes without question. So, yeah, Anthony Zabrowski is in Congress. Okay, we have a lot to talk about today, and it is Friday. So, as you know, on Friday, we spend um, pretty much the first half of the show just talking about the news of the day and opening up the phone lines, finding out what news story of the day or the week is uh, made an impression on you and it's something that you want to talk about, 773-763-9278, 773-763-9278. You can call us on that line and you can text us on that line. Same number, calling or texting, okay? And we really want to thank our texting sponsor, Camp Kupagani. They are celebrating 15 years of growing kinder, smarter, and happier kids. So if you want to give the child in your life a summer of empowerment, challenge, and fun, register today at multiculturalcamp.com. Multiculturalcamp.com. And, um, and you can text me. We've got, <laughs> we've got a, a, t- a text coming in all, already. This is a Joan George Santos has said that he used the name Anthony Dabrowski because it sounded Jewish. And he also said it's easier to raise money from Jews if you have a Jewish sounding name. Well, whoever texted that in, thank you for that insight into why. But you know what? If you're going to pick a Jewish name, Dabrowski, I don't know. Go figure. It makes no sense to me. Also, I want to let you know um, that we have just released more tickets to our forum. Remember the mayoral forum that I'm doing? Um, oh, my gosh, less than a week now. Woo-hoo. It is uh, Thursday, January 26th. It's going to be downtown at the Morning Star Auditorium. The Morningstar Auditorium is, of course, 
uh, right across the street from Daly Plaza, I think it's 22 West Washington, is the address. We are going to be very shortly giving away multiple pairs of tickets. We just opened up uh, some seats. Now, it is downtown. It's probably going to be from noon to 2, noon to 2.30, Thursday, the 26th. That is this coming Thursday. We would love for you to be there. I'm going to be there. Santita's going to be there. Patty's going to be there. Um, All nine candidates are going to be there. And this will be your chance to see them and hear them. If you are, if you work downtown or if you have the day off and you'd really like to attend, hey, Roosevelt, I'm talking to you. I know you wanted tickets. Um, we are going to be making several pairs of tickets available. Um, please, you know, don't get them for a friend. Only get them if you yourself can, can use them. Because the last thing we want to do is promise a bunch of tickets to people who, for whatever reason, can't be downtown that day. Thursday, the 26th, it's like 22 West Washington. Uh, we're going to actually start the festivities at 11 in the morning. We're going to serve lunch. Then at noon, Tory Ryder, who's going to be back at the station, is going to say hello and introduce everything. She's going to throw it to me and Santita and Patty about... Um, 1215 and we are going to begin the fun. Oh, by the way, I I told you that uh, you know the Channel 7 had a forum last night and they said they were going to replay it at 10:30. Well, what they didn't clarify at when I first read about this was they're replaying at 10:30 Sunday night. I went to, you know, I had seen on social media and some of the live streams what was going on. But I, you know, kind of wanted to see it. So, like, I tuned in, and who do I see but Jimmy Kimmel? And I go, well, this is weird. And that's when I did a little deeper digging and discovered that it is Sunday, Sunday, Sunday night, the 22nd, that they're going to be replaying it at 1030 at night. So if you want to actually see them in the flesh, we're going to talk about um, just a little bit about what took place last night and kind of give us a preview of what we might expect on the 26th. Plus, I'm going to be um, giving away some tickets. Mm, Lady B, maybe we should just, you know, maybe we should just do that right now. What do you say? Let's give away. How about we'll give away three pairs of tickets right now while um, while we take this break. Lady B can be frantically... <laughs> answering the phone she does have to get some information from you so when she tells you you're a winner just she might have to put you on hold so sit tight until she gets back to you because she's got a whole form she's got to fill out but we're going to give away three pairs of tickets callers three four and five roosevelt are you listening because he's been telling me he wants tickets okay remember it's thursday january 26th it's going to be at the morning star auditorium 22 west washington across from daily plaza where you're going to see the candidates, you get a free lunch. That's one of the things Lady B has to ask you. What are, do you have any dietary restrictions that we should know about? We're very fortunate this forum uh, is sponsored by Morningstar, Roofers Local 11, and Oscar Iberian Rugs. Now, here's the boilerplate. Our contests are open to people as long as you're at least 18 years old. 
Live in the greater Chicagoland, northwest Indiana area. One entry per person, one winner per household. You can't win a pair of tickets and then have, you know, your spouse win a pair of tickets. That's, you know, kind of cheating. Void where prohibited by law. Listeners may only win or qualify to win once every 30 days. If you want to read the fine print, go to our website, WCPT820.com, and click on the contest tab. Good luck. Can't listen to Joan Esposito? Surely you can't be serious. Live, local, and progressive in your car today? I am serious, and don't call me sure. Don't fret. You can still listen to her on the TuneIn app on both your phone and computer. Whoa! You feel that right away. It's just refreshing. This is Barry Maltz with the Small Business Radio Show. And like you, I've had a lot of businesses over the last 25 years. First, I went out of business. Then I got kicked out by my two partners. Then I sold my last business. And I was able to pay back the bank the $1.3 million I owed them. And funny enough, my wife tells me I got her back just about the same time. Join me Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. right here on WCPT 820, where I show you how to get your small business unstuck, grow the company you've always wanted, and finally make the money that you deserve. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is Friday. Every Friday, we open up the phone line so that you can call in and comment about the news story of the day or the week that you would like to talk about um, Lady B has also been gathering signatures and names and phone numbers from people who want to attend our forum uh, coming up in less than a week. Whew, time to get nervous, huh? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, before we get started on some of the stuff I want to talk about, let's go to the phone lines. Jim is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Jim, how are you? Hi, Joan. Good luck. Well, this should be a humdinger for Mayor of Chicago. This should be a humdinger. Anyway, another great week. I appreciate your intellect. All I want to say is culture wars is on my cranium today. What God's name is a war against culture. Culture to me is extractive from each century through music, literature, advances in science, and so on. You've got Nutty uh, Santos down in Florida. He's going to invade the curriculum of the students down there because mm-hmm. apparently he's enlightened enough to know what culture is and what culture should be taught. Yes, and and of course, I mean, I'm sure you're referring to his latest move. I mean, he's moved beyond the whole "don't say gay" thing. Now he has said there was um there was an AP African American Studies course that was being proposed. And um, he said he said, no, that's not going to be taught. Uh, and he gave some nonsense reason, like um, it's not necessary. And it, the facts um, wouldn't be accurate anyway. I'm like, huh? What? Hello. And, you know, it's just not that important. I think Ron DeSantos is trying to create a state that is the reddest of the red. I think by taking some of these actions, I've been thinking about this, Jim. And I think he wants liberal people, gay people, and black people to move out of the state. I think he wants to send a clear message that Florida 
is not welcoming those folks. We're going to make your life uncomfortable if you live here. And I think Ron DeSantos is trying to create some kind of white Christian national state island in this in this country. I really there's I can't I can't explain what he does in any other way than he's trying to get uh, anybody who has any kind of a democratic impulse to move. I agree, Joe. And you have a great week, and I agree with you all early. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate that. Um, so anyway, as I was telling you, um, I don't know if you s- watched the stream for the mayoral debate last night. Um, there were a lot of, <laughs> instead of, you know, here's a big issue, let's all address it. They were kind of just poking at each other, really. Uh, everybody was um, complaining about everybody else's stance on budget and safety. There was, as Shia Kapos pointed out in today's Illinois playbook, though, there was kind of one comment that has people scratching their heads today. You know, Willie Wilson has said all along that when people ask him about public safety, he thinks that the police in Chicago are too constrained, that they're not given enough freedom to do their jobs. Now, he hasn't been super specific on what restrictions he would like to lift. But, you know, there are, because of some problems that have occurred when it comes to car chases and foot chases, there have been some rules and regulations put in place to try to reduce violence. You know, it's it's very frustrating when you've been the victim of a crime and the police are chasing somebody and they get on an expressway and the police are ordered to stop the chase. That's frustrating. And I think we need to make up that difference in technology. You know, you put a camera at the ramp, um, you put a drone in the air to follow that car, and eventually... The car gets off the expressway, wherever it is, and the person gets arrested. It is, we have the technology. And the reason that cops are told to call off their chases is because oftentimes those chases result in accidents and innocent people who are just driving somewhere end up getting killed because they end up being part of a crash or they lose control of their car because of this insane thing that's happening in in their midst. And yes, it's frustrating to when a cop tells you, well, you know, I can chase the perp this far, but no longer. But it's also absurd. We don't need a high speed chase to follow somebody, even if they don't have a license plate on their car that we can get a picture of and track it down. You put a drone in the air or maybe you have one or two in the air at all times and you 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 send them to to follow a certain suspect that's a, that's being followed by police <laughs> where are they going to go are they going to hide under a bridge and wait for the drone to go away no eventually the drone will follow them to wherever they're going and police can show up then and there and arrest the people we have the technology to make Policing safer and not just safer for those of us who are uh, pedestrians or bystanders, make it safer for the cops themselves. 
Anyway, I digress. Uh, one of the things that uh, Reverend Dr. Willie Wilson has been saying is that police need to be freed to do their jobs. And last night, he said that if a suspect is running away from police officers, police officers, quote, should be able to chase them down and hunt them down like a rabbit. You know, even if you do believe that the police need more freedom to do their jobs, it doesn't seem like the best way to me to voice that thought. You know, if you want to say we need to invest more in technology, if you want to say um, we should change these rules about foot pursuit and give the officers freedom to do X and not say that they have to do Y, but just to say something like chase them down and hunt them down like a rabbit, that's just icky. It's just icky, I say. Remember when uh, Lori Lightfoot, and I really believe she misspoke, but she doubled down on it, sadly, when she said that anybody who's arrested is guilty? You wouldn't be arrested if you weren't guilty? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there's just some stuff that you just don't say. Especially in Chicago, where we have a police department that is still operating under a decree, a consent decree from the Justice Department because of malfeasance and wrongdoing. So anyway, that was probably the most newsworthy statement that came out of the debate last night. But like I said, everybody was taking pot shots at everybody else. You know, um, Brandon Johnson said Chewy Garcia's safety plan was really Lori Lightfoot's safety plan. You know, um, Paul Vallis and Lori Lightfoot poked at each other. She seems to be con- it, it, a lot of people think that Chewy is the front runner, but I don't know what Mayor Lori Lightfoot's polling tells her. But it seems to indicate that Paul Vallis is more of a threat to her because she seems to go after him every chance she gets. So I'm just telling you this thing we're going to do on the 26th. I suspect it is going to be lively, lively, I tell you. Okay, we're going to take a break. I actually want to talk about the death ceiling, and I will get to that when we come back after this. There's new information. Explosive new information. It's how every day starts. The need for information. And the info you need from Santita Jackson. Weekday morning, starting at 6 on WCPT 820. This is Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is Friday. Friday, we open up the phone lines. We open up the text lines. 773-763-9278. We talk about the news of the day. We talk about the news of the week. And we talk about any news that you think is important enough to call in about. Let's go back to the phone lines. Rose is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Rose, how are you? Hey, Joan. Real good. Thanks. Hey, um, I'm the subject of Ryan DeSantis. That's been mm-hmm. running through my mind lately, wondering what's his angle. Why does he think that he can export those draconian policies and laws out of Florida to the rest of the country? Like if he tries to run in 2024, 20, what's going to make people embrace those policies and stuff? And it kind of intersects with something else that I've been you know, realizing and hearing about and stuff. I wonder if it's not so much that he thinks people are going to embrace those 
but almost they're going to be forced into them because right-wingers are infiltrating our school boards, our college boards, our library boards. They're getting in there because of low voter turnout, like I think what happened with the Niles School Board maybe last year, where they're trying to pretty much destroy things from the inside out. So I wonder if he's thinking, like I said, not so much people are going to embrace what what he wants to do, but going to be forced into it because they're infiltrating everything in this country. Yeah, they really are. And I think that I think that now most organizations are aware of it. Like I follow all the different indivisibles in Illinois, and lately they've been focusing on um, educating their members on what it looks like when somebody tries to take over a school board or what it looks like when somebody tries to influence a library and what kinds of things they say, what kind of um, efforts they make so that those kinds of people can be identified and uh, the rest of the community can make sure that that is not something that they allow to happen. So I think you're right. And, you know, Rose, there was a time when I would have said to you, well, Ron DeSantis, if he really wants to be president, he has to start being more moderate, more mainstream if he wants to get elected. But then I would have told you the same thing about Donald Trump. I would have told you that it was not possible that Donald Trump would be elected. So, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe Ron has figured this path of hate and exclusion um, grievance. It worked really well for Donald Trump. And um, I will see what I can accomplish here in Florida, see what I can export to other states. Then those other states will love me and they will support me. And here I go. You could be right. You absolutely yeah, could be them, right. They're not, like you're saying, they'll jump on the populist message bandwagon, like, you know, you know, woe is me, you know, poor me, I'm a victim. But like I said, some of them, are, I think, are going to be, some of us are going to be forced into it. So elections matter. Every election, every election. We can't have, like, less than 10% turnout in some of these elections, these popular elections and stuff. Elections Absolutely. Happen, so We have to vote every time we haven't, yes, every time we have an opportunity to vote, we have to vote like our life depends on it. And I think it has it has been slow waking up Democrats to this fact. But um, I think that that a lot of Democrats now understand this. And certainly I was so heartened to see that in the last midterm election, the last big election, we had young people turn out like never before. And that really warmed my heart because it's always driven me crazy that the people who are going to be affected for the longest period of time uh, by these restrictive laws were seemingly doing nothing to fight it. But they are they're motivated now. They came out in the midterms and I don't think they're going back. I don't either. I don't either. Well, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Brian is calling in from Joliet. Hey, Brian, how are you? I thank you. I, I hope you're doing well, Joan. Um, well, I'm just uh, checking in. I think, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, of course, uh, the Republicans are right-wing extremists, uh, but I don't think uh, they're that stupid. Uh, I think most of this is bluff on the uh, debt ceiling. And uh, Do you really? Do you really think they're bluffing? 
Oh, I don't think they're going to try to take away Social Security and Medicare. Hey, did you see uh, where... Other, uh, social safety nets. I think uh, they'd be risking riots all across the country. I don't. One think, of the uh, newsletters I read this morning said that even Donald Trump came out yesterday and said Republicans shouldn't try to be, they should not try to cut Social Security and Medicare. And and Donald Trump said if Republicans try to cut these programs, it will be the end of the Republican Party. Donald Trump said that. Brian, Donald Trump. And you can't get much more uh, right-wing <laughs> extremists than Trump oh. and- uh, I still don't think they're going to, I think it's, I still, I still think they're bluffing and it could risk, uh, even a worldwide depression or great depression. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So, um, I can't believe they'd be that stupid. Uh, well, I can't believe they yeah. I, I just don't think politically for themselves. Uh, I think, uh, uh, I don't think they'd want to risk, uh, you know, the, what could be uh, the destruction of the country. I think they'd be rioting all over the uh, uh, uprisings all across the country. Don't you? Um, I think that they would find themselves that, uh, that they had struck a wasp's nest. But here's what I think might be happening. You know, they have the Republican far right, the radical right, basically humiliated Kevin McCarthy and brought him to his knees. He had to agree to all of their demands to become speaker. And I think that they are now heady with that experience. And they think that by applying enough pressure that they will bring Democrats to their knees and that Democrats will, in an effort to avoid what you just described, where our our defaulting on our loans means that governments around the world don't get paid, which means that their governments can become um, unstable and the domino, domino, domino. I think that they I think they're going to get a surprise because I think Hakeem Jeffries and Joe Biden are going to be like, nope, we are not going to be uh, we're not going to be blackmailed by you. We're not going to be pressured by you. And if you destroy the country in this effort, that is going to we're going to make sure everybody knows it's on you. I think that they right now are feeling their oats and they're thinking everybody is going to crumble before them. Hmm. I, that's why I'm worried. Well, I'm worried, too, and I just pray for a reasonable, peaceful solution to the whole thing. Yeah, me too. Um, Brian, thank you so much for calling in. Toward uh, this, um, I grabbed a clip. Remember Robert Reich? He's the former U.S. Secretary of Labor, a very bright, very funny, very outspoken man. Um, he was. Uh, he posted a thing to Instagram talking about the Republicans um, using the debt ceiling to try to force Democrats to cut funding from Social Security and Medicare and what he sees as a potential way this could unfold. Listen to what Robert Reich had to say. From 1935, they were against Social Security. And from 1965, they've been against Medicare and what is the vehicle they use? As the congressman said, they don't want to do it directly. 
They right. want to know they they're, they're, they know these populars are enormous. These programs are enormously popular. So what will they do? They'll use this debt ceiling. It sounds to the public as well. Of course, you need to have a debt ceiling. Actually, what they are doing is creating huge potential problems for everybody because they will ultimately only raise the debt ceiling if they get their way. And what does that mean? What does that mean? It means cuts in programs that everybody counts on, or it means that we are our credit is downgraded and we have to pay billions more uh, to borrow more money. I mean, this is this is insane. There should be no negotiating at all with hostage takers. And that's essentially what the radical right wants to do. They want to take the government hostage. They know that if we well, we've already hit the debt ceiling. We did that yesterday. Now, Janet Yellen is buying the government some time. She has a couple of funds that are filled with money that money that is meant for certain things. But those things don't necessarily have to be paid out right away. So she is borrowing from those funds to keep the government going. So, so far, all of our military are still getting paid because that's what would also go away. It wouldn't just be cuts to Social Security. Um, so far, those of us who get Social Security, we're still getting our checks. Those of us who are on, on Medicare, the government is still paying those medical bills and those doctors. For those people who are in the armed services, they are still getting paid for their service. But Janet Yellen said, you know, these funds have a certain amount of money, which I can tap because once we raise the debt ceiling, I will pay all this money back. But it's limited. The amount of time she can do this and the amount of money she has available to do this is limited. She has already said that June, July, somewhere around there, she's not going to be able to do it anymore. She won't have any more pockets to reach into to pull money out of. So we have a little bit of time, but not a lot. Because as, as you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's January now, but all of a sudden you're going to wake up in a couple of days and you're going to say, oh, my God, it's June, because that's kind of how life is. This is I think this is going to get really ugly. And the only way that that might not happen is if the radical right between now and June, they either change their agenda and stop going after the debt ceiling, or somehow, some way, they get smacked down. Ideally, it would be by their own party, but we don't see any indications of that just yet. So, unless something changes with their attitude and their agenda, we're going to be in a world of hurt come spring. And it is going to be, it's going to be Brinksterism. We're going to be on the edge. And, you know, somebody said to me that at the last possible second, or maybe even a few minutes after we're in trouble, that's when they'll reach a deal. We'll see. There's more, um, more experts. You know, the debt ceiling has been a big topic on cable news. There's more that I want to share with you about this. We are also going to continue to um, take calls and texts. So let's take a break right now and get to it right after this. 
Did you know you can text Joan at the same number you used to call us? 773-763-9278. Thanks to our texting sponsor, Camp Kupugani. Register today at multiculturalcamp.com. Text away. 773-763-9278. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. We're reading your texts and taking your calls. Uh, We've been talking about the debt ceiling, and I just played a soundbite from Robert Reich, and he talked about how Republicans have been... They believe that government shouldn't take care of anybody. You know, if you're poor, too bad for you, you know, like this idea that most of our really wealthy people somehow created their own wealth. Do you know how many wealthy people inherited their wealth? (laughs) A rather large number of them. Elon Musk started off life with money from his dad. Donald Trump started off money with money from his dad. Jared Kushner started off with money from his dad. I mean, come on. There's. Do you really think Jared Kushner would be wealthy and married to Ivanka Trump if he hadn't been born into the family he was born into? If I had gone to high school with Jared Kushner, I guarantee you he would still be in Elyria, Ohio, working at some sort of mid-level management job at a nondescript company. Like somehow he's bright because he's wealthy. Republicans have gone after these kinds of programs for years. And um, I read something this morning, and one of our texters also texted the story into me just now. It's It's just unbelievable. In the state of Iowa... There is legislation, new legislation, sponsored by 39 Iowa House Republicans, state House Republicans, including the Speaker of the House, Pat Grassley. This new legislation would further limit the kinds of food that people can buy with food stamps in most states, like in Illinois, they're called it's called SNAP now, SNAP benefits. When you hear people talking about SNAP, SNAP for those of us of a certain age, that's food stamps. It is when you are poor, you qualify for help from the government so that you can buy food. Okay, if this bill passes, this is from. Um, a religious group, the Des Moines Area Religious Council. This is an interfaith group. They operate a really big food pantry in Iowa. They took a look at this bill and they said, if this bill passes, poor people in Iowa can no longer use their government food benefits to buy meat, to buy meat, to buy nuts, seeds, Flour, butter, cooking oil, soup, canned fruits and vegetables, frozen prepared foods, certain snack foods, herbs, spices, not even salt or pepper. 
the Des Moines Area Religious Council said this is a punitive policy that will do nothing to improve the health and nutrition's nutrition of Iowans. They said, you know, and here's a big surprise, it's going to be more difficult to feed families. It's going to increase hunger. All kinds of national and local food organizations, including National Feeding America, they're the biggest uh, food relief organization in the United States. They say, according to their statistics, nearly 230,000 people in Iowa, in Iowa alone, 230,000 people in Iowa alone are facing food insecurity, and more than 80,000 of those are children. What's the point of something like this? To try to get poor people to move out of Iowa because they can't afford food for their families anymore? I mean, this isn't a bill that says, hey, if you're getting government benefits, you can't spend it on... um, a case of wine, okay? Meat, meat, nuts, seeds, flour, butter, cooking oil, soup, canned fruits and vegetables, frozen prepared foods, not even salt or pepper. What's the point of something like that? 39 Republicans in the Iowa House have signed on to that bill. And you think that at the national level, people aren't cruel enough and crazy enough to try to cut into Social Security checks and Medicare benefits? I think it's the same kind of cruelty, the same kind of uncaring. (sighs) Let's go back to the phone lines uh, Dave is calling in from Hoffman Estates. Hey, Dave, how are you today? Thank you for calling. Hey, Joan. Yeah, you and Brian were mentioning earlier, and you were just talking about with the Medicare and the Social Security. And though they seem to forget they go doing that. Remember they, these uh, ones on the right? They're always talking about their Second Amendment rights. You don't. <laughs> you start taking money away from these people or stopping it, that. Yeah, I mean, we already seen how crazy they are when they, you know, envision that they still uh, that they won an election that they actually lost. They go shoot up houses and. Oh yeah, Mr. Pena, who uh, did some shooting himself and hired four other people uh, to shoot at uh, Democratic houses when he lost a run for a state legislature. I think that was in was that in New Mexico, Dave? I think he was New Mexico. Yeah, yeah and one of the he lost by like fifty points. Or- yeah, this is the the party of n- normalcy. We can count on these people not to be not to be crazy. Four of the gunshots went through the bedroom wall of a ten year old girl who was asleep at the time. I mean, it could have been, it could have been so awful, such a tragedy. And that guy had said that he had told one of the mother's two or three cohorts that he wanted them to aim lower. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, but uh, but you know, on the fact, you know you. You start taking away these benefits, you know, I personally, I don't think they they dare do that. Otherwise, they'd have to look like Trump did on January 6th and be standing behind bulletproof glass anywhere to go make a speech. Mm. You know, because they, they, you know, 
and you don't, and they don't think that there's uh, also people on the Democratic side that uh, <laughs> believe in the Second Amendment too at times if they went and screwed them, but. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, there are Democrats in Congress that own guns and have uh, hunted and, and, you know, done sport shooting. You know, this idea that somehow um, only Republicans, you know, have um, have guns is is ridiculous. And even even cops, you know, who, of course, bring their weapons home, they store them safely. And most times when there are weapons restrictions being voted on, for uh, those of us who live out in our homes, in our neighborhoods, cops are generally in favor of that because you know what? They don't want to run up against Joan Esposito with a gun who's lost her mind and, you know, is ready to shoot up the grocery store. Nobody wants that. Cops don't want to have to face that. They don't want to have to show up at a scene and wonder if they're going to get gunned down by a high powered magazine automatic weapon. Good God. But yeah, that's you know my thought on that that they won't do it because of that fact because they've already you know let the genie out of the bottle on that thing and that Frankenstein's you know yep cut loose already so that that's my thought on it they won't well, do it for that fact you know thank you thank you Dave yeah uh, I appreciate well, I appreciate the call so. you too Dave um, we're gonna uh, take more calls but I wanted to. Uh, share with you, <laughs> I, you know, everybody's talking about the debt ceiling. Um, on MSNBC, Stephanie Rule does the show that um, um, Brian, what's his name, used to host the, the 11th Hour. And she had a whole panel. One of the people she was talking to, Stephanie Rule, was a guy by the name of Tom Nichols. Tom Nichols used to, I don't know if he still does, he used to teach at the uh, Naval War College. He writes for the Atlantic. He's by no means a liberal or a progressive, but he's a really smart guy and he's a really insightful guy. Um, they were, um, they were talking <clears throat> about this whole idea of if we don't raise the debt ceiling, we as a government are going to default. We're going to default on our loans. And, you know, Tom Nichols spoke up and said, and this is what scares me. He thinks that that's where we're going to end up because this far right faction, and I think there are more of them than Kevin McCarthy would like to admit, they, they're, they're there to be famous. They're there to perform. They don't care about their constituents. They don't care about the law. They don't care about the Constitution. They don't care about passing bills. They care about getting on television and making a fuss. Listen to what Tom Nichols said when he joined Stephanie Rule on MSNBC. Um, it's amazing that they're not bluffing. How come Republicans don't care that they could send us into default? Because they don't think their job in Washington is to govern. They think their job is to perform. They think their job is to service their base and to make them happy. And they're counting on um, the, the reality, as Yamisha lead, alluded to, that people just don't understand what the debt ceiling is. They're going to say this is, um, you know, a big spending Democratic administration that wants more money um, rather than actually understanding what the debt ceiling is. Uh, and so, you know, and I think the other thing that's important to point out is that 
at least some of these Republicans, I, I suspect, um, don't understand it either. I don't think that Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matt Gates or any of the people Kevin McCarthy has to deal with actually understand what they're voting on. Um, but again, I don't think they see that as their job. They didn't go to Washington to govern. They went to Washington um, to take care of themselves and to perform for their constituency. I was talking to an expert earlier in the week who said, because I said, you know, how does a Matt Gates get elected? And the person said, well, you know, Matt Gates goes back to his people and says, see how I'm fighting? Look how hard I'm fighting. I am, you know, being loud and, and doing this and I'm doing this for you. I am fighting for you. <sighs> he thinks that's why the Lauren Boberts and the Matt Gateses continue to be reelected, though I will say Lauren Boebert almost didn't make it this last time. I mean, she squeaked into office. So maybe even more uh, far right leaning Republicans are beginning to wake up to the fact that these people aren't really there to work for them. They're there to um, I don't know what's what's the goal is the goal to get a, a, a consulting job on television once you're out of public life? Who knows? Um, but I, they seem to care about chaos more than they care about the Constitution. That's for damn sure. Let's take a break for news. We're going to do more of your calls and more conversation right after this. Podcasts of Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Just search WCPT 820. Remember when you get to work to hop over to WCPT820.com or the TuneIn Radio app and stream The Stephanie Miller Show, weekdays 8 to 11 a.m. on Chicago's Progressive Talk, where facts matter. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. The reason that I listen to you from the infamous other side, you will call a spade a spade, and if it's indefensible, you will not defend it. And you know what? I can respect that. On WCPT 820. It is Friday, January 20th, and as you know, every Friday, we talk about the news of the day, the news of the week, and take your call. So let's get right back to the phone lines George is calling in from the south side of Chicago. Hello, George. Thanks for joining the conversation today. Thanks for taking my call, Joan. Before I get to my main point, when you were talking about how so many of the wealthy today are wealthy because they were, as Tom Hartman says, members of the Lucky Sperm Club, <laughs> their, their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents were wealthy. It's dynastic wealth. Mm-hmm. The same thing is true in politics. You mentioned Speaker of the House Grassley in Iowa. Well, guess who his daddy is? You betcha. You betcha. This this is something that is endemic to the human race, this kind of dynastic thinking where those who've been powerful before will continue to be powerful and those who've been rich before will continue to be rich. And since money and power are fungible, if you've got one, you can get the other. That uh, means that those of us who believe in an equitable society and democracy have to struggle all the harder because it's kind of ingrained in human DNA. It'll probably mm-hmm. take a number of millennia before it's squeezed out of our systems. But what I what I wanted to talk about in terms of SNAP and food stamps is 
and I perhaps have a tiny little bit of insight into this because when I was younger, I lived in Iowa for several years, is that the history of food stamps is an alliance between those who care for the poor and the undernourished and want to make sure that they get decent meals so that they can participate in our economy and our democracy to the fullest extent their abilities will allow them to do so on the one hand. And on the other hand, agribusiness, farmers, and the large food production companies, because if the poor can go into the grocery stores and buy groceries with their SNAP benefits, that means more income for the food producers, whether it's farmers or corporations or whatever. And, you know, Iowa is a big producer of meat, and why, you know, I would think that the, that the meat industry in Iowa would call these folks up and say, uh, excuse me, why was meat on this list? Hello, do you not know who we are? Do you not know how we make our money? It doesn't make any sense. Well, I would, I would assume that because, uh, unfortunately, in Iowa, and I know this because I still have friends out there, the uh, the disease of right-wing mega-Trumpism conservatism runs very deep in Iowa. It is, once upon a time, it was a, a, a pro-labor state and, and progressive in a lot of ways, and those days are long behind Iowa. And so I would think that <clears throat> a lot of the farmers and other food producers and food wholesalers and retailers may be a little leery about going public with their opposition to this insane, cruel, unchristlike bill, but I'm betting that they are pushing every lever of power they have behind the scenes to throttle these people down and say, Are you out of your god excuse me, are you out of your cotton picking mind? <laughs> I mean for, yeah. the, you know, the the corn most of the corn crop in Iowa and most of the soybean crop go to animal feed. And there's there's all kinds of, of you know, corporate industrial meat raising operations in Iowa, feedlots, huge chick, chicken facilities. And <laughs> I forget what was the number you quoted. There's over 200,000 people in Iowa who are on SNAP. Yeah, all it's roughly 230,000, 80,000 yeah. plus our children. And if all of a sudden they stop buying the foodstuffs that they can't buy, that's going to hit the bottom line of a whole lot of people in Iowa that depend on that income. It's yeah. colossally ignorant. It is colossally ignorant. And, you know, one thing you can almost always count on a Republican for is not doing anything that is going to harm the people who give them money. And you're telling me, you lived in Iowa, that none of the crop producing, meat producing companies in Iowa give any money to Republicans? I find that hard to believe. But I'm telling you, if I were if I were an executive at one of those businesses, I would be on the phone today saying kind of a paraphrase of what you just said. What are you thinking here with this bill in Iowa that's going to make it um, that government food stamps can no longer be used to buy meat or flour or butter or cooking oil or canned fruit or canned vegetables? Good God. You know, and there are a number of major 
meatpacking plants in Iowa from Dubuque on the Mississippi out to Sioux City on the Missouri and everywhere in between. And that's going to that's hit what they're able to sell and what they're able to sell it for. I mean, this is going to depress meat prices in Iowa. I mean, it's, it's just mind-boggling. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's places in Iowa where, shall we say, certain weeds grow in the ditches. You know, it's called ditchweed. And it's it's not as high in, um, shall we say, THC as other more cultivated brands. But uh, maybe some of these uh, Iowa legislators have been uh, harvesting the ditchweed near their their residences because they're out of their minds. It would seem to me and to you that they are indeed out of their minds. It'll be very interesting to see whether or not they continue to pursue this bill in the Iowa state legislature that's going to, you know, limit so many things that people can buy with food stamps or whether they back off of it. Uh, here's to hoping that they back off. Uh, thank you so much for the call, oh, George. Very, Always very quickly, Joan. Oh, sure. I'm so glad that you brought this to my attention because I hadn't heard of this before. And as soon as we get off the phone, I'm going to be texting my friends in Iowa to find out <laughs> what they know about this. <clears throat> Yeah, and you know, that's, that's sometimes what you can do. The best thing you can do to stop something that's outrageous is shine a light on it. Because a lot of times I think lawmakers count on the fact that nobody's paying attention. You know, nobody's going to pay attention and we'll slip these sentences in or we'll do this. And, you know, um, and then all of a sudden they start to get local coverage and then all of a sudden they start to get national coverage. And all of a sudden the bill that was so egregious, suddenly just nobody's talking about it anymore. So let's hope that's what happens in this case. Yeah, and maybe it's so uncharitable and so unchristlike that the churches will speak out against it. Well, one of the the biggest food pantry in Iowa is run by a coalition of religious groups, and they were one of the first to come out publicly against this. It it is just they say that it's just it's just cruel. It is absolutely cruel and unnecessary, and it's going to lead to a lot more hungry kids going forward. Uh, George, I want to try to get some more calls in, um, so I'm going to uh, hang up right now. Um, let's go back to the phone lines. Maurice is calling from Chicago. Go ahead, Maurice. Hey, Joan. How you doing? Good. Yeah. They know that a lot of poor people or people who need services don't vote. So they feel like. But is that really true? And, and frankly, in this case in Iowa, where they're trying to deny, um, people who get SNAP benefits or what we call food stamps, to be able to buy things like meat and flour and butter, even if that were true, even if we could show with uh, statistics that somehow people below a certain income level don't vote, what about people who care about people? What about the wealthy people? What about the people in this um, um, bipartisan faith coalition that runs these food pantries? They vote and they're incensed yeah. by this. Yeah, but um, that's the problem, though. We have to educate and, and have – we need local news back in the communities. Cause like you just said, these people probably don't know about it until after it's too late. Just like a lot of states voted down the ACE Affordable Care Act, 
and they changed the name to whatever state and red states. They changed the name to their state health care. Then the people signed up for it. Now they got it. Now they like, you know, when they hear the state is trying to take it or somebody's trying to take it away, then they fight to keep what they got. Well, you're right. You're right in the point that that voters need to be educated. Right. I'm reminded there was an interview with a woman back back in the days when Republicans were still trying to get rid of Obamacare. And somebody some reporter went out and interviewed a woman and they said, well, how do you feel about this? And she was like, they should get rid of it. They should get rid of Obamacare. And she says, I don't care. She goes, I'm covered by the Affordable Care Act. And the reporter just looked at her and said, do you understand that the Affordable Care Act is Obamacare? She had no idea because of the different name. So you're absolutely right, Maurice, in the fact that educating voters is really important. Sorry to, sorry to cut this short, but we need to take a break, and I'm going to try to get all the rest of the callers in before we wrap this up and uh, invite the delightful Richard Chu to join us. Eh, you know what? We'll probably still take calls then. <laughs> uh, so let's just take a break and get to it right after this. Can't listen to Joan Esposito? Surely you can't be serious. Live, local, and progressive in your car today? I am serious, and don't call me sure. Don't fret. You can still listen to her on the TuneIn app on both your phone and computer. Whoa, you feel that right away. It's just refreshing. The David Pakman Show. Republican congressman wanted Trump to invoke, quote, martial law. Mark Meadows texted with 34 different lawmakers about overturning the 2020 election. They see what happened on January 6th as a loss, not because there were crimes committed, not because people got arrested. They see January 6th as a loss because they didn't succeed in stealing the election. The David Pakman Show. Weekday evenings at 10 on WCPT 820. Chicago's progressive talk. You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Every Friday, we talk about the news of the day, and we take your calls, so let's get right back to it. Ron is calling in from Chicago to join our conversation this Friday. Hello, Ron. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, This week... uh Someone asked uh, Kevin McCarthy about George Santos, and he said that uh, before the uh, November election, he had some questions about his resume, but he didn't have a chance to ask him about it. And somebody should ask uh, Kevin McCarthy uh, if he owned a business and he found out that uh, one of his employees totally falsified his uh, job application, what would he do? Would he just say, exactly. Uh, Exactly. They wouldn't in uh, the corporate world wouldn't stand for this for a hot second. No, no. Yeah. Totally fired. (laughs) You betcha. They would be they would they would be out the door so fast that they wouldn't they wouldn't understand what was happening to them. You're at without without question. And and frankly, um, there's a lot of Republicans who would like to see George Santos shown the door. But as I understand it, there's um, not really an easy mechanism for getting rid of him. And uh, Kevin McCarthy doesn't seem to have, even if there were, doesn't seem to have the stomach for it. So um, George Santos, Anthony Santos, um, Anthony DeVolder, Anthony Zabrowski, by whatever name you know him, you will probably know him for the next two years. Uh, thanks so much for the call, Ron. 
Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. Roosevelt is calling in. Hey, Roosevelt, you get your tickets to the mayoral forum next week? Absolutely. Um, Excellent. Take it, take it um, but I won them yesterday morning on the Cynthia Jackson show, so I will be attending. Excellent. Excellent. Remember, we're serving lunch at 11, so you know, whenever you oh, can get okay. there, that would be great. Thank you. Um, this sounds this that ceiling uh, that ceiling uh, sounds very familiar to me here in the state of Illinois. Isn't the same thing, similar to what the Rounder tried to pull here, with uh, trying to get the Democrats to bow down to him and and yes, exactly. And he born. refused to sign off on the budget. Yeah. Because he couldn't get the Democrats to bend to his will. And that's when um, it, the state of Illinois stopped paying its bills. I believe how many times I believe our credit rating was downgraded six times under Rauner because it's been upgraded now three times. And last I heard from Susana Mendoza, they still had a couple more upgrades to try to get to bring them even with where they were before uh, Bruce Rauner crashed and burned the system. So if anybody uh, thinks that this is uh, doesn't affect uh, uh, doesn't affect the uh, economy of a state or the country of the world, for that matter, here's a perfect example in, in the state of Illinois, what happened with Rauner. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's that's really good, because people, especially people who lived here in Illinois and lived through that, we know we know what happened. I mean, there were small businesses whose sole client was the state of Illinois. There was a family owned business and their job was to travel around the state to government buildings and they would repair and replace the flags that were flying and their their sole the the sole purpose of their business was to do business with the state of Illinois. And it was a father and son. They went out of business because somebody after after all this was over uh, years down the line, somebody was commenting on how certain state buildings, the flags were an embarrassment because they were so raggedy. And a reporter d- dug into it and said, well, here's why used to be a company that took care of those, but they couldn't survive waiting to get paid under Bruce Rauner. Uh, Joan, uh, I'm going to close it with this. Can you explain to me why the word Latinx is so threatening in the state of Arkansas with uh, Huckabee banning it? And I believe that she had six other um, executive orders that she signed within a week of, of, of being sworn in as a governor. And, and notice, uh, uh, this morning, I believe, they were saying that the census is trying to erase basically um, the history of African Americans in the state of Florida and in Texas, to be precise, year, a year ago, my my mom told me that they're trying to erase the uh, the um, history of Texas, the connection between Texas and Mexico. So, what the heck is going on with this? I mean, I yeah. know part of it, but but it's specifically Huckabee. What what's so threatening about the word Latin next? I don't get it. Can you explain it to me, or can you? Um, I don't understand it either. I mean, you know, for a long time, uh, if you don't know what Roosevelt and I are talking about, you know, obviously we've had Latino, Latina for a long time, and and somebody created came up with the term Latinx to refer to anybody, um, man or woman of Hispanic heritage, and um, I think there's two things going on here. First of all, with um, Huckabee Sanders, I think she is just trying to um, 
make a splash and let people know she's not woke because God forbid she's woke. And I think it's pretty much meaningless, uh, but it's her way of uh, sort of flaunting her Republican credentials. But I have read, and I don't understand this, where there are some um, Hispanics who don't like the term Latinx, and I've I've never read a good article that explained to me why that is. So uh, it seems like it would be a great, fair term to use, but I kind of avoid it only because I've read that that some people don't don't like the term. And frankly, you know, I mean, I think people should be called however they want to be called. So um, but I don't understand. But I but Sarah Huckabee Sanders did not care about the controversy. Trust me. She just wanted to signal to all of her hardcore Trumpian supporters that she was not woke there. We won't be using this word here. Anyway, thank you, Roosevelt. Thank you for the call. Thank you. Um, Let's get one more call in. Paul is calling from Seattle. Hello, Paul. How are you today? I don't. Um, yeah, I wanted to, to talk about you were, you were mentioning about some of these Republicans like Lauren Boebert, who just squeaked by. Um, I heard something interesting. Actually, was on here on WCPT. Uh, who was talking? I think it was Ellen Miller was talking about Matt Gates, And she was talking about the gerrymandering, how, how bad, how heavy it is. In Florida, obviously, uh, Ron DeSantos was really, you know, active in that and drawing those maps. And because she said, you know, Matt Gates won his district by like 67 percent, like two to one. And the challenger, you know, was like 33 percent, the Democratic challenger. But then she said the numbers, you see, um, she said that Matt Gates got 195,000 votes and the Democratic challenger got 65,000. Well, that, I mean, that's a smear. But the story is in those numbers. Because when I said he got 195,000, the Democrat got 60, that's 260,000 votes. But a federal congressional district is 800,000 people. Mm. And Matt Gates didn't even get 25% of that which tells me that the gerrymandering in this country and in the red state is so out of whack that even the wackadoodle right-wingers don't vote because it's assured that some crackpot like Matt Gates is going to get it. Only 260,000 people voted, in, in the, and, okay, sure, not all of the 800,000 are, re- are eligible voters, but 500,000 are, 600,000, it's not all teenagers over there. And I think that's the same in a lot of these districts like Lauren Boebert, who barely squeaked by because she's so bad that not even the Republicans, they don't vote anyway. And they didn't show up for this obnoxious uh, pole dancing high school dropout alcoholic drunk. And, uh, who <laughs> How do you really feel? Well, I'm just saying, you know, she, she wants us to know who she is, and, and we do. And she sits on the, what, oversight committee now. Overseeing what, you know? And uh, Homeland Security. Um, uh, Boebert's Boebert's on oversight. Marjorie Taylor Greene is on oversight and Homeland Security. Oh, well, you know, the thing is, I I was saying to uh, somebody recently that there are just, I mean, tens of thousands rather than thousands of examples throughout history where people who don't know how to handle the power that they have and if you don't know how to handle powder, 
it will destroy you. And I honestly think that these people will go. I don't think Kevin McCarthy, I don't, he for sure won't make it through two years. I don't know how long it's going to take for him to go down, but he does not know. He does not know how to uh, drive a team. Um, and, and that's when you've got people who like Matt Gates, who has such a, just a pathetic support, uh, you know, pathetic support in his own district. And you're talking about the Florida panhandle. I mean, and that's a, that's a very classy, low slung white trash place, you know, and I'm only saying that because I read it in, in the rabbit run book, you know, John Updike, that was the, the, one where, <laughs> <laughs> the most depressing series of books ever written. Um, but you know, when rabbit was rich, he became a slumlord in the fourth panhandle. So I'm just saying, um, you, you know, know, you just said something that, um, you know, we should not this week, obviously, because we're kind of winding up. But I think in the very near future, we should have kind of a a poll as to how long Kevin McCarthy will last. <clears throat> I don't know yeah, what the prize would be. Um, but yeah, but I think I think we should maybe starting next week when people call in, I'll make them, you know, give me an estimate of how long Kevin McCarthy's going to last. And I'm going to think about how long I think he's going to last so that when we introduce this segment, Paul, we'll um, have some parameters. You call in first and you, between you and me, we'll figure out the first parameters here. All I can think about the word A2, Brutus. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Um, we are going to take a break. Um, we're going to, you know what, Lady B, we'll leave the phone lines open. But when we come back for the next hour, we are going to be joined by the lovely and talented Richard Chu. You hear him on the family meeting. He will be joining me right after this. Need a new social media account to follow for progressive politics? WCPT 820 is your best source for both progressive politics and programming. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow on both Twitter and Instagram. Tune into the Tom Hartman radio program, your home for news, opinion, and insight, right here on WCPT 820, where facts matter. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. If you are on social media, you should go to at Choose Views. There you will find the postings of Richard Chu, and you can also hear him every weekend here on WCPT as he participates in the family meeting. Richard, thanks for being here. Hey, Joan. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm uh, I'm doing pretty well. Um, I saw you and your lovely wife, Anne, early in December. Two weeks later, I had COVID, so the rest of the month was pretty quiet. But, you know, wow. it's 2023, and I am back. That's right. Joan's here, everybody. She's here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to hear your voice live rather than just, you know, on the radio. Um Monday well, I got a, I got a little panicked because I know I, I texted you two Sundays in a row. Um, uh, the family meeting wasn't there, and Ray was like, "Well, you know, they're probably taking some time off." I goes, "Well, what if they're not? I have to find out from Richard." Well, Ray was you first. You were you were um, Ray was right. 
and we appreciate you having the concern. And, and I probably should have let you know um, without you having to reach out to me to find out. We did take a little bit of time off. Um, Eric had some traveling going on. I had some additional traveling going on. So we thought that's probably that was the right thing to do. But we're, it's it's uh, I, I'm, I can't wait till Sunday. I'm just I'm so excited. I guess that's really kind of the thing about you know what, what you, you you love what you miss. Mm-hmm. Um, and you miss what you love, and so I'm so excited about um, being back on the air on Sunday. Um, and um, certainly, you know, that the time away, it, you know, it has its benefit. But at the same time, I miss our I miss our audience. I miss the folks that um, we're so blessed to have that follow us and listen to us on the family meeting, but certainly across the board on WCPT. So I'm excited about Sunday. I can't uh, I can't wait. Have you and Eric, um, you know, conferred on what you're going to be talking about? Is there any kind of preview? Like, you know, I for some reason, every once in a while, there's just something that I get obsessed with. And I'm now obsessed with this whole issue of the debt ceiling. I just can't let it go. Um, I know. I know. It's just these things at random just get in my head and I just can't I can't get rid of them. I can't forget about them. Whether or not anybody else wants to go on my journey, so uh, what's gonna what's gonna be coming up Sunday for, uh, on the family meeting? Well, the the debt ceiling will be in the mix, and, and I'm I'm gonna come in answering your question. I'm gonna come back to to it. Um, we're gonna I'm, I'm certain we're gonna talk about what's uh, coming up with the with the um, Chicago mayoral uh, election and. And you know we're uh, CPT is going to be involved with the um, with the forum next Thursday, so we're going to talk about the the upcoming election. Um, but as it relates to some other topics that are out there, I know that that um, Eric will probably want to, uh, and I say this respectfully, help people understand the you know what the debt ceiling is really all about, and also help people understand what how that impacts our, our financial, um, uh, picture as a country. And then of course, how that can potentially impact the global economy because of the, 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 the largesse of the United States economy. I mean, it's just, you know, you can't, you can't, uh, put the brakes on, um, full, full stop brakes on, on, on an engine that runs at the speed that our economy does. And so, um, you know, it, it will, it always, here's the thing. It's already had impact, but just the pure conversation about it has already had impact because basically when we talk about the United States of America, potentially defaulting, if you will, on, on debt or defaulting on, on relation, I like to put it in maybe different terms, relationships that we have uh, globally that are financial relationships, people start to get a little bit, you know, it's kind of like that scratch in the back of your neck. It's like, wait a minute, what's going on? How is this going to impact me? And mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of folks, you know, that's how I like to break it down when people have asked me as, as a financial advisor, what's going to happen with the, you know, how is the debt ceiling going to impact us? Well, the sheer fact that people are asking that question says that it's impacting people right now, even before we were to actually go into the, 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 the into default. So um, the consequences are broad. We could see delaying in social security checks. Um, you may not, you know, get your tax refund on time. Just think about that for a second. Social security checks are a primary income source 
wherewithal source for millions of Americans. And that that money not coming to people to pay their everything, fill in the blanks, Joan, mm-hmm. that are dependent on that, that immediately impacts every financial conversation you could have. It impacts the money that's put into our tax base. It impacts what goes into our, and I'm talking about on a federal level, but none alone what happens on a local level or on a regional level. Then we get into the conversation about how social security, which is why it's so important, sidebar, and it has to be left alone and not gotten rid of. Yep. But getting back to, getting back, sorry about that, I'm sitting in the office, getting, um, so, so social security checks not being on time. People live on their social security checks. So how are we going to, who's going to fill in the blanks? Okay. Mm -hmm. That's one. Then people don't get their tax refunds on time. Well, that's a big deal because the tax refunds are also part of the structure of how the IRS goes about determining what their excess will be and what their, um, what their output will be. So those kinds of things are just some basic conversational. Everybody can, everybody can touch base with social security and the upcoming um, possibility that people could, may not get their tax refunds on time. So, One of my callers, um, well, no, he was a texter. Um, we were talking about this whole issue, and he, he texted in. He was like, you know, um, you know, screwing up Social Security and me not getting a check is going to be, he said, I'm so dependent on it. It's, you know, you, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be the end of me. He said, I'm not rich like you. You know, you don't care whether Social Security, and I'm thinking to myself, buddy, do you know how old I am? Do you know how much I need that Social Security check? Do you, how much do you think WCPT pays? Huh? How much? Well, well, well Joe, let's put it in that, let's put it in the, in the stand, in the, in the, conversation of, of those that are above a certain income. Let's say people that are above $250,000 a year in gross income, and it's coming from a business that they run, okay? Retail, whatever it might be. They run a business, and their take-home is $250,000 a year. That's good money, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's, let, let's think about what that type of business might be. Let's say it's a restaurant or some other business that might have a large number of consumers that come in and spend money at that place of business, right? Mm -hmm. So now let's just say 15% of the people that come into that particular business, retail, restaurant, whatever it might be, don't come in because they don't get their social security check on time, if at all. So then that company is impacted and the income of that person who makes $250,000 a year is impacted. So I, I want people to stop thinking about it just being um, people that have, that have money, quote unquote, are impacted by something like Social Security. Because the question becomes, how does that person derive their income? If they're running a small to medium sized business and a lot of and they serve a commute, their businesses in the community, you know, a hairstylist, a barber, a, you know, just all all of our sort of breadbasket um, kind of businesses are impacted when people who live in that community don't get paid, don't yep. get their social security checks. And that business could make a, a heap of money, two, $300,000 a year, but if 25% of their customers don't come in because of the fact that their social security isn't paid on time, that impacts that company. That then looks, gets into the whole conversation, and Eric could give a master class on this, of how the economy and, and the, the, our financial markets 
and the debt ceiling, although they're not the same thing, they are like three rails of a, of a, of a railroad track running together. They all have to operate efficiently or else they could all operate inefficiently. So we're going to talk about that. I'm certain to some extent on Sunday and, and, and try to talk less about the politics behind these knuckleheads. I, Joan, I want to, I just, every single time, you know what I'm about to say. Every single time I hear the spot about the people who ran for the, and some of the Republican uh, campaigns that weren't up to snuff as candidates. And you use the, the, the phrase knuckleheads. I just think I just get this big smile on my face because that is the appropriate word label for some of the people that are in our political system right now. They are flat out knuckleheads. Yep. And, and uh, I, we I, get to so, we get to watch them. We get to watch them and, uh, and appreciate them for what they uh, for for what I'm, uh, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to see if I can figure out what we might appreciate them for. Uh, Richard Chu and I'll be right back after this. Chicago's progressive talk. WCPT 820, where facts matter. Don't turn that dial. A dangerous mistake to make. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. I'm joined by Richard Chu from the family meeting. And no, during the break, I couldn't think of anything um, positive to say about the radical right currently in Congress. Uh, Richard and I have been talking about uh, the debt ceiling. And um, on uh, again, on MSNBC, Michael Steele. Now, Michael Steele used to be the head of the RNC. Okay, he was a Republican. He was steeped in Republican politics and he was being interviewed by Stephanie Rule on MSNBC. And they were talking about the debt ceiling and he was trying to explain to Marjorie Taylor Greene what that means and the fact that um, this what we're just doing is. This isn't like creating new spending. This isn't like, you know, oh, let's 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 create a new program that's going to no. This is paying what we already have borrowed for. Like it's as he put it, it's like a credit card bill. I want to share with you what Michael Steele said about this. He's created so she's not going to sign off on a clean debt bill, then what are you going to sign off of? Because if you understand how this works, Marjorie, <laughs> then you know that this is about bills that have already been created, not new spending. So this is not a spending question. This is just paying the damn credit card of the country for the $8 trillion your president ran up in twenty between 2016 and 2020. So stop with the stupid. This is Kevin's problem. He's got to figure it out. As you might imagine, Mr. Chu, (laughs) Stop the Stupid has now uh, sort of taken on a life of its own. Stop the Stupid. I think um, that's what um, knuckleheads do is they promote the stupid. And so Michael is from the from the tiny chambers of his heart. He's reaching out to those folks. Um, and this was a guy, you know, and what when CNN recently a while back hired. What's her name? Farahi. The, she used to be a Trump spokesperson. And I was like, oh, CNN, you know, what are you doing? You know, rehabilitating somebody like this. But I have I always watch CNN to make sure that there's nothing that um, 
breaking news that I'm missing as I read my newspapers and newsletters. She has become one of the Republicans' most articulate critics. I mean, she'll Mm -hmm. look at the anchors and she'll say, you know, this is nonsense. This is craziness. This is counterproductive. And I thought to myself, well, okay. Well, that's what needs to happen. And listen, you know, the, some, the, the sometimes the hardest, crit, harshest criticism and oftentimes the most applicable criticism comes from those that you love and that know you the best and the closest. So to that end, um, for the longest time, I've been, you know, Michael Steele and I have been um, uh, two black men that speak our truth heartfully, heartfeltly and all the rest of the words to, to, to describe it. Uh, we don't agree on um, on a lot of things, but I, what I've seen with Michael in t- over time is that the Republican Party that he thought he was a part of uh, never really actually existed. And I give him credit for where he is now because he should be there. He doesn't get a medal for being where he should be because he's part of the he's part. He was part of the problem. And he was part of the 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 the, the gang of the Bush era that that caused some of the craziness that we have today. So in in one in one line of thinking, um, you know, he created some of the monsters that we have, or he certainly was there to plant the seed so that the monsters could could grow and and to germinate. But where he is now, um, yes, he's saying what needs to be said because, yes, Marjorie Green or Marjorie Taylor, whatever she's doing by now. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a large case of stupidity that's there. And I think that, it, it you know, the CNN shift, the CNN shift is is largely because of, you know, John Malone becoming the, the lead, um, uh, one of the lead uh, C-suite people. I'm not sure what his exact ownership is of the comp of the uh, network, but that change has been taking place for about six, six or eight months now. But having a person on like her to talk about the stupidity and let's do your homework before you open your mouth is important. I mean, you know, Joan, that the Republican elected officials that we all see, as you also refer to them as the knuckleheads. Um, and, and that's going to be, I'm going to use that word to death for a long <laughs> time. Because it's so right on, but let, let's, let's just be honest again. You've heard me say this before and on, on air with you and in private, this is who the, the elected officials are just the megaphone mouthpieces for the greater society that elected them. We cannot fall asleep on and let that slide by. So what that means is that, yes, those people are elected. And yes, the Michael Steele's um, are saying what they're saying about the stupidity of the elected officials. However, the guy and the gal that you and I know at the health club, at the restaurant that we favor, and on and on and on in our everyday lives are the same people that voted many times. The people that voted for them are those same people that are still representing um, them now and that are following them now. We have to do a better job, quote, as progressives, of calling out the day-to-day knuckleheads and and people who are unwilling to be, as Eric likes to say, intellectually curious to learn something, we have to call those people out. In other words, I see a guy at the gym that's running his mouth about, you know, Trump this, MAGA that, the Republicans are wonderful. It's my job to call him out in the moment, as it is all of us as progressives, to call 
people out on their stupidity and their knuckleheadedness in the moment. Because every time we let them get away with saying something and then we don't call them out on our, on their BS, we just allow them to continue to grow because that's what's happened to the Republican party. Michael Steele is, is six years too late. He should have been saying this six years ago rather than now. You see what I'm saying? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. We let the monster grow. As Eric likes to say, we gave the monkey, we gave the gun to the monkey and now the monkey's firing on everybody and no disrespect to anyone who's been the victim of a mass shooting. I don't want to want to send the wrong message there, but, but, but we gave the, the gun to the monkey and the monkeys are these knuckleheads who are representing the quote unquote right and far right. Um, we have a couple of callers who want to join our conversation, but I also want to, um, you know, point out what was the comedian Ron Ron White and his whole line was, "You can't fix stupid." You're like, so can't stop trying. Stupid. You just can't. Let's go to the phone line. Steve uh, is calling in from the Gold Coast to join our conversation. Hey, Steve, you're on with me and Richard Chu from the family meeting. Yes, and I thank you for taking my call. And I, I would agree with you. I think that, you know, you had the crazy, the, the monkey had the gun. But fortunately, I think for us, uh, you know, the tide has turned. And even, you know, prominent Republicans, members of their party that have been there for a long time who didn't speak up, you know, let's face it, there were sort of different categories of Republicans, the, the crazy Trump supporters. Then there were the people who went silent, and that was by and large, that was the vast majority of Republicans. And then there mm-hmm. were the handful that actually stood up, the Kinzigers and the Liz Cheneys and the Mitt Romneys, and said, "No, this guy is crazy." And those of you who follow him are crazy, even even in our own party. But it took a couple of years for that to become mainstream, and now it's actually becoming a, a fairly much fairly much in vogue to uh, to critique Donald Trump and the mega nuts even within the Republican Party, because they know that it's suicide to continue down this path as a political party. So uh, it took them two years to, to turn around. But, you know, luckily, I think that we are heading in the right direction in that regard. The, the, the Trumpian MAGA nonsense is a minority movement within the party. I mean, you've got, a, you've got a candidate in Donald Trump who declared that he wants to run for president again and pretty much decided to go on vacation because he's not campaigning, apparently. So I think it says a great deal and about where this party is going. And, and Kevin McCarthy, unfortunately, in order to you know secure for himself the speakership, decided to give away the house, you know, to these people. Literally, disproportionate. Yes, they have a disproportional amount of influence within the party. But nonetheless, the vast majority of Americans are turning away from them. Even a lot of Republicans, when when polled, Republicans actually majority of them now don't want Donald Trump to be their nominee in 2024. Yeah, they say that now. They say that now. But you know what? If he starts if he starts getting audiences again, if he starts picking up steam, I don't believe that they are going to turn their back on him if it looks like he's not going to be a loser. I think it's real easy right now with his low profile and the fact that he didn't do too well with candidates in the midterms. It's easy to say right now, oh, you know, it's time to move on from Donald Trump. But if he gets if he gets some momentum going, I'm cynical. I think all those people will get right back on the Trump train. And that goes to the structure of, of the Republican primary system. Because if you have, say, 60 or 70 percent of people voting for somebody other than Donald Trump, but Donald Trump can get 30 percent in a given state, 
and then get another 35%, another. So in other words, the majority of people are voting for somebody else, but that other 60, 65% is fragmented among several candidates. But Donald Trump can secure the most, uh, the, the largest percentage uh, of, of backing. Then, Despite the fact that most Republicans don't support him, he can still get the nomination. So that's the danger of, of, of their system, yeah. uh, unfortunately. And, and that's the problem, because he's still got a lock on a lot of the base. I don't think he's, he's going to get the nomination. I could be wrong. I, I was wrong in 2016, along with a lot of other people who thought this was this is a clown show. Why, why is anybody covering him? He can't win. And then he started to win primaries. OK, he won primaries. But he can't get the nomination. Oh, well, yeah. the nomination. that's There's what no scares way. me, Steve, is we've seen this before when we thought it was utterly impossible. Richard, you were going to jump in there a second ago. Uh, you want to jump in now? No, just, just to say that that um, I, I mean, I hear exactly what Steve is saying. And hey, Steve, thanks for calling in. I think that um, clearly. Um, how do we process through this? Donald Trump is the least of, of our concerns right now. Let's be honest. He's not the concern we should be really looking at that because it, Donald Trump is going to do what he's going to do. And he's going to move according to what the, what the winds tell him. He doesn't have a structure to how he's going to go about going forward in this next election. That's not the, that, that I don't, I'm not, that's not my concern right now. My concern is the disruption that the, the Republican led house is going to have and how the Democrats are going to respond to, uh, I think they, the Democrats have an opportunity to rein in the Republicans every time they, for, for lack of better words, show their backsides. That's the opportunity is for the Democratic leadership. Because it's a narrow difference. It's to use the fact that it's narrow. Stay united. Forget about Donald Trump. Forget about Ron DeSantis. And forge ahead with the message that American voters can say, these are the people with the ideas and the thought process that I want to follow. Because we have a general election coming up in 2024 that's going to involve a presidential election, a vice presidential election, House and Senate on a federal level. We want to we have to look at the long game this time and not look at what Donald Trump is stumbling around and doing. And the long game is how do we maintain the Senate, if not grow it? And how do we take back the House? That's the focus. Be damned what Donald Trump does. Because I don't think that, it doesn't matter. There's going to be a Republican candidate. It doesn't matter who it is. What matters is that the, 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 I think the Democrats have to use this opportunity to rise above the fray and give the American people who were voting something to vote for in 2024. Be damned. I think Trump. that's. I, you know, I think that's definitely a game plan that and they need to be clear and they need to get the message out and they need to repeat the message over and over again, because that's one thing Republicans are really good at. Pick a message and just everybody says it. Everybody says it all the time. And then it sort of sinks into people's brains. Uh, Democrats yeah. tend not to be quite so organized, but I think that if they ever got that organized, we would see some real serious change. Um, thank you for the call. Uh, appreciate the call, Steve. Thank you, uh, Richard Chu. We are going to take a break uh, for news at the top of the hour, and we are going to return with me and Richard Chu when we come right back after this. The Tom Hartman Radio Program provides all of the intelligence, information, and insight you'll need to win the water cooler wars. Weekdays 11 to 2 right here on WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. 
I am very pleased to be joined by Richard Chu. You hear him here every weekend on the family meeting. And uh, we have been taking calls and talking about the debt ceiling and other things. Let's go back to the phone lines. Earl is calling in from Hyde Park. Go ahead, Earl. You're on with me and Richard. Oh, okay. Well, then, uh, Lady B, how about Eduardo calling from Chicago's south side? Yeah, Joan, Richard. Richard, it's uh, great to hear you. I was banging my radio on Sunday. I go, where are you guys with the family? <laughs> so on, uh, Sunday, I go. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, concerned. Hey, yeah, Joan, put it. We, took, we took a couple weeks, a couple extra weeks off, but we'll be back this Sunday, Eduardo. Thank you so much for your support of both uh, the family meeting and WCPT. Go ahead, Eduardo. You had a question or comment? Can you hear me? Um, You broke up a little bit. Try again. Can you hear me now? Yes, now we can. Okay, sorry about that. So on my comment here, you guys, um, and I'm kind of like independent, you guys don't need to be getting nervous or upset or anything because the other side, and I caught them and told them, you guys need to rethink about what you're going to be talking about because talking about uh, Hunter Biden's uh, laptop, and illegal immigration, and they're, this week they're making fun of the uh, the guys going over there to Davos on their uh, uh, on their planes. Mm. Yeah, the economy is still not doing well. Uh, COVID is still uh, you know shaky. Uh, you got the debt ceiling. You guys don't have people like Joe, uh, Mr. Santos, like Mr. Trump, that guy in New Mexico who was. We shot those uh, people uh, from the other side. So you guys don't have stuff like that going on. And this is why it's two against one right now. And even though they have the house, it's barely by a small margin. So you guys are hardly anybody to be getting nervous or alarmed. But as long as you, you use the right word, Joan, message. Because right now, the only guy that has a chance to get to 270 is uh, Mr. DeSantis. There's nobody else on that side that can get to 70. They're talking about uh, Nikki Haley. It's just a joke, the people they're throwing out there. There's nobody else. Well, right now, there's nobody else. But as you know, um, people's fortunes can rise and fall unexpectedly. I remember one of the very first guests in my early days here at WCPT was a little-known candidate for mayor who, at the time I talked to her, didn't seem like she had much of a shot by the name of Lori Lightfoot. And then suddenly she got the endorsement of the Sun-Times, and then suddenly the ball started rolling in a way. We still have enough time um, before 2024 that the landscape could change. I agree with you. That's what it looks like at this moment in time. Whether that's going to be what we're talking about a year from now, whew, who knows? <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah. Well, well, they're saying it could be Newsom versus DeSantis. That's that's the the word on yeah. That's that right for. now. That looks yeah. like you know. It's for some reason, Joe Biden didn't didn't run because um, you know Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, <laughs> uh, spends a, a decent amount of time trolling Ron DeSantis. He's if you follow yeah, him uh, on social media, he's always poking Ron DeSantis. Uh, yeah, true that. So um, well, I mean, no, thanks, Eduardo. You you make good points. Thanks so much for calling in. I I mean, Joan, I I think that the thing that's 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 critical in that space about who might run, 
Um, I look at it like this. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a ways away. And we know that election season will start, you know, this late fall going into December of later this year and, and all that. But the thing that, that I just have to remind everybody, at least in my opinion, if President Biden runs, I, I think he's going to be a strong candidate and he's going to be able to run on a pretty stout record. People can make all the jokes they want to about his health and you know his age and all the other things that would be quote unquote detractors and even this latest thing with the documents. But at the end of the day, he's got a lot to run on and stand on. And I and I hope that the folks that are the voices in the ear of the of the administration and the can uh, President Biden remind him of that as part of the campaign, that, that he gets to run on his successes and, and then he will address any of the things that are perceived as negatives. But I, the thing that I don't want too many people to, I don't want anybody to do this. And that is when we start to think about if president Biden does not run as the ta- at the top of the ticket, we have to remember something. We have a vice president and her name is Kamala Harris. And she is the most, she is the next in line if President Biden decides to not run, not, not anybody else. And I know that a lot of people don't, don't necessarily see it that way, but she's the next person in line. And oh, I absolutely. That, uh, I mean, she's, she would absolutely be in the mix. And I think that she's, I think she's very bright and has a lot going for her. I am, um, I think that she's, going to be hampered by the fact that her star has risen so quickly. You know, she doesn't have an extensive resume. Um, and I think that whether or not they mean to or what they're trying to do with her, I don't think that the Biden administration has given her a real opportunity to carve out an issue and make it her own and lobby the members of Congress and lobby the Senate and get something done. I mean, you know, they've been sending her around the world to do that vice presidential job where you go to the funeral and you go to the meeting and you go to the C-list countries to just let them know that, you know, the United States is their friend. I don't think that what she has been doing as vice president has done her any favors for taking the big job. And this is also the, 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 the conversation about when we've had this happen. So in, in our lifetime, I don't believe um, that we've had, and maybe I'd have, to, I'd have to, I'd have to think about this on the fly where we've had a presidential candidate that chose to not run. And the vice president was the, was a person that ran in their stead. We haven't had, I mean, and I'm not talking about because of something criminal. What is it? As yeah. it be no, no, no. The, you know, it's I'm a, talking about where it was a, a conscious decision of the current president to say, I'm not running for a second term. And the vice president then, because typically the, the objective with two terms since Roosevelt has been that candidate runs a second term, barring any health or any uh, legal yes. reasons to not run. And then after that, the sequence, just in terms of our history, is the vice president, if he, and, this, and we have to say he because that's what it's been, chooses to run, then steps into that, that spot. And then step. And so what will happen is in the, if, the, if, if uh, Joe Biden runs and gets reelected, in the second year of his second term is when Vice President Harris will start to uh, elevate. That will probably be that you know to your point about what she's um, not been doing because the reality is uh, Vice President Biden, with all of his experience in the Senate, 
took the same, you know, kind of position that other vice presidents did behind President Obama. So that's that, it, right or wrong. I think that that's part of our DNA as a country when it comes to our presidential elections and how we go about selecting the next president. Um, but again, I think that President Biden is going to um, whoever he runs against, he's going to be a stronger candidate. And like you said a moment ago, so correctly, Joan, um, anything can change and any, anyone could have evolved from the Republican side. We don't know who that know who that might be. We have names that we can throw out. Obviously, DeSantis is at the top of the list and Trump is right there with him. But neither one of them are really I mean, Biden's already beaten Trump once. <laughs> so I think that and Trump hasn't strengthened since then. President Biden has. So that's a that's a race where President Biden would win. DeSantis comes in with a lot of baggage. He comes in with a lot. I mean, how many states is he going to really be able to flip? Let's be honest. Is he going to flip Wisconsin? I don't think so. Is he going to flip Michigan? Doubtful. Pennsylvania? Doubtful. So game over right there. If he doesn't flip those three states and everything else stays the same, President Biden gets reelected if DeSantis is a Republican candidate. And that's just running the numbers. He's got yeah. to flip those three states. That's, yep. just, that's that's how you got to look at it. We ha- we have to look at it from that lens and not who we like, who's fake. Um, and, that, and that's we're all susceptible to that. But when the numbers come down, DeSantis has got to flip those three states. I don't think he's going to be able to do that in the upper Midwest because he's not liked well enough um, by enough Democrats. Let's be honest to flip those three states. Come on. That's a huge lift for a guy that is not a good candidate. Um, he's, he won Florida by a very narrow, I think 32,000 votes he won Florida by, not this time, but when he first got elected. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I'm not leaning into the, oh my gosh, world of, you know, Donald, what, what Donald Trump might do or what Ron DeSantis might do. I think a strong President Biden with some more successes and more victories over the next few months and weathering this, this, you know, minor, uh, kerfuffle with the documents and continuing to move forward and keep pushing his agenda and letting it be known that if the debt ceiling doesn't get met, that that's the, that's the Republicans in Congress, not the White House and not the, the Democrats in the Senate's fault. It's the Republicans. In, it's, it's messaging. We're going back to, again to what you said. Mm-hmm. We got to stay single with the message and just keep hammering it, hammering it, hammering it to give folks that are going to vote yeah, something to vote for rather than something to vote against. Eric says this all the time. Stop giving people something to vote against. That's yep. part of the equation. Give them something to vote for. Absolutely. Hey, Richard, oh, we're going to take a quick break. Um, I think when we come back, I think Earl uh, called back again. Hopefully we have him on the line. But first, we'll take a break. Richard Chu and I will be right back with more after this. Facebook. Message us. Instagram. Follow us. Twitter. Tweet us. They keep me connected. Let's get social on the socials. WCPT 820. Because facts matter. You're listening to WCPT 820. This is Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I'm joined by Richard Chu from the family meeting. You'll be able to hear Richard and Eric this Sunday. We're going to try to get the 
Last of these callers in before we wrap things up at 4.30. Uh, Earl from Hyde Park. Lady B, I heard he called back. Earl, are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling back. Oh, no problem. I got a job somehow. I know that I think that Richard uh, dropped my call on purpose. Richard, shame on you. <laughs> yeah, Richard, you know, he, he likes to beat up on me. <laughs> Well, what's going on, Earl? How are you? Happy 2023. Uh, same to you, buddy. Same to you. Uh, the reason why I called in today is that uh, I'm going to take a slightly different track. I agree with you that Democratic candidates kind of really C-minus on messaging. I really get that. But I tend to focus also on not your program, Joan, and not Tom's program, uh, but many of the programs on the mass mo- uh, media that's supposed to be progressive is, uh, are just as hard on the Democratic messengers as they are on the Republican messengers. And so, therefore, our candidates are getting beat up by right-wing and left-wing media that dilutes uh, our messaging. And I'm giving an example of what I mean. The guy in uh, New York that got elected with all the lies and so on and so forth. Ah, yes, A.K.A. George Santos or Kitara, his drag name. Whatever his name is, right. Uh, That's why I said the guy, because we we don't know what his real name (laughs) is. But if, if if we go back to the beginning, his candidates on the Democratic side tried to mention his inconsistencies uh, uh, about his uh, bio, but the mass media didn't pick it up. So yeah, yeah. there was a Long yeah. Island publication, a small Long Island paper right. that uh, said uh, they printed an article and they said we are not going to be endorsing this guy, and here's why: we believe him to be a fraud. And the editor of that exactly. um, publication was interviewed. And he said, he said, I've got to tell you, he said, I was shocked that not a single mainstream media outlet, not a single newspaper, not a single television station, not a single radio station contacted us to follow up on this. He said, nobody picked up the ball. Yeah. So that's moral. Go ahead, uh, Richard. Go ahead, Richard. I, well, you, you make a good point, and, and I, I think that that's we could go back a year ago and to any show that that I've been on with Joan or with Eric or whatever, and we could see that we were saying then that the messaging from the Democratic Party isn't we'd like it to be better or different. That we, we we've been saying that for a long time, and at the same time, what's like what I have seen shift is the. Uh, the way that media in general, and I really don't say mainstream media, but the way that media in general is handling things when it comes to uh, progressive politicians, democratic, liberal politicians, is you know, they are kind of slicing their own you know, message and saying things that are not necessarily positive about the, the candidate on the left. 
And that's something that, that has got to end. I don't know when it will end and what it's going to take, maybe for it to change first before it ends. But I, I would agree with you, Earl. There is definitely a, a challenge with the messaging. That's got to change. And I think one of the tools for it to change, certainly on a, on a federal or national level with candidates, is the people who are in the ears, quote, or on the teams of the candidates, and whether it be in the House or in the Senate or um, for the White House and, and, and um, or the administration, Th- those people have got it. Yeah, this is the next week. Yeah. Um, you, may to, you may have to click us out, Earl. We're going to let you go because we, we can't hear both things. But Yeah, and, and Earl, I've got a couple other callers I want to try to squeeze in. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up right here and go back to the phone lines. Um, there was a little bit of breaking news that I, I didn't mention. Um, it was a, it was discovered today. You know how the FBI was trying to find out the source of the leak of the Supreme Court decision, and they announced yesterday, well, we talked to everybody, we can't figure it out. Um, apparently, the Supreme Court says that the justices were consulted by the FBI, but they were not asked to sign documents um, basically stating almost um, under oath that what they had shared with the FBI was true or that they had shared everything they knew. Um, I think Isaac's calling in to join our conversation, Richard, to talk about the Supreme Court. Isaac, are you there still? Yes. How are you doing, Joan? Richard, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, my question is this, is that how are we going to hold the Supreme Court accountable? No, oh, that's a good question. In other words, how are we going to hold them accountable for this this leak? Now, can we put the justice on the oath and make them tell the truth? Or, uh, you know, I don't want to see this just swept under the rug and just go it on and business as usual. I want something to be done about this. I don't know what can be done about it. Something should be done about it because, you know, to me, I, I, I can't prove it, but I got a hunch it might be Clarence Thomas' wife. You know, it might be, you know, I could say it's Clarence Thomas because she right wing, he right wing. We need to find out who meet that Roe v. Wade, and I don't think that should be swept to the side. And well, I agree with you that. Um, that, it, you know, it would be nice if the FBI had come up with a conclusion. And thanks for the call, Isaac. But, Richard, when I saw the FBI come out with this, oh, well, you know, I'm sorry, we looked into it, we can't figure out. To me, before I even knew that they weren't deposed under oath, that said to me, this didn't come from a clerk, this didn't come from an aide, this didn't come from a secretary, this came from one of the justices, and in the effort not to humiliate them or alienate them any further, um, we're, you were just going to say, oh, sorry, couldn't find anybody. No, I agree with you, Joan. I think I, I agree with the caller about it. Should, it has to be they don't get a pass on any of the nine of them. And, and you know, where this is where you take, you have to take the politics out of it. We even have to take the politics out of it and say, none of y'all get a pass. We need to know what happened because this is a Supreme court. This is supposed to be the, the most, you know, um, uh, elegant body of law minds that we, 
put in a position. You all do not get a pass if you mess something up. You're not perfect. You're not without, you know, error. We need to know what happened. Because, again, I'm going to go back to something about the debt ceiling and connect it to the Supreme Court. The country, as part of this, I say, subversive move by the right and heavy, heavy, heavy duty money people, doesn't need to tear down democracy. And one of the ways to do that is to create skepticism or lack of faith in the, in the, in the, instrument, in the institution. So... The debt ceiling is one of those items that tears down at our democracy. The Supreme Court and its viability and sustainability and believability, if that's not there, people don't have faith in our Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? I can make the connection. It's not a big leap. The teardown of our systems tears down our democracy. And although I could say there's a lot of different things that I don't like about what goes on systemically with our country, particularly when the legal system, the justice system, I mean, come on, the number one legal minds, quote, are not going to be pulled into the um, properly questioned about something that this, that's this significant. No, that, that needs to happen. And the, and the, and the people in the position to make it happen need to remember why they have that job i.e. the FBI, they need to recognize their job is to investigate on a federal level. This is our most federal legal institution, the Supreme Court. So they need to do the job. They need to go, they need to find out who leaked it. It didn't accidentally get left on the table. Nothing, it doesn't, they didn't get left on a, on a countertop in the kitchen at the Supreme Court and somebody goes, Ooh, I want to release this. No, it was done with intention. And if it's Alito, if it's Clarence Thomas, if it's, I mean, let's be honest, if it's Justice Sotomayor, they need to stand and deliver on that. This is the way it should be. Now, You would think that somebody who is in such an elevated position and is supposed to be enforcing the law and enforcing the Constitution, you'd think that they would be, you know, pretty ethical when it comes to this. You would think. You would think. You would think. Uh, you Richard, would think. we're um, we're running into the commercial break. My dear, it is so great to talk to you again. I am so glad you are going to be back on the air this Sunday with Eric on the family meeting. Ray and I will be tuning in as we always do. And uh, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure, Joan. I'm glad you're feeling better and doing well. Have a great weekend and we'll talk soon. Yes. Thank you so much. We're going to take a break. We're going to be back with more right after this. Stay on top of the latest news in and around Chicago with Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820. Information is power. Stay informed to know what's going on. Staying informed gives me the power of knowledge. I wake up. need to know what happened. I turn on the radio. Because information is power. WCPT 820. Where facts matter. Is Joan Esposito live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820? We are, of course, heading into the weekend. If you are lucky enough to have the weekend off, and um, while we do uh, discuss a lot of politics and uh, talk to a lot of candidates here on WCPT, I always try to do something on Friday that will warm your heart or put a smile on your face. So this Friday, we have actually moved 
our pet of the month segment to be right here, right now, so that we can talk about puppies and kitties and other pocket pets and things, and we can have a warm feeling in our heart as we go into the weekend. Toward that end, Tracy Elliott joins us. He is the president and CEO of Anti-Cruelty. Craig Botagowski is, of course, our favorite pharmacist. He is with Mark Drugs in Deerfield and Roselle. Welcome, 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 gentlemen. It is so nice to have you back and to be able to talk about dogs and cats. Hello, hello, hello. Happy New Year, John. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, uh, Tracy, of course, as a uh, foster for anti-cruelty, I follow a lot of the social media and everything. Uh, Did I... Was I, I can't remember because I follow a lot of, <laughs> I follow a lot of different shelters. Um, but you were talking, we've talked before about pocket pets and I don't remember if it was anti cruelty or a different shelter that they had taken in a chinchilla. That was us. Was um, that you? And I have, yes, yes. Uh, and you know, it's not unusual to get those, you know, less than, uh, common pocket pets occasionally. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think since I've been here, which is almost four years, that we've had a chinchilla before. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure. I'm, we must have found a rescue for him. I'm not entirely sure, but I know he did. I think that's what it said. I think that's yeah. what the Post said, that there was a, a small animal rescue that was coming to get him. You know, before I started doing this radio show full-time, I volunteered before COVID um, when PetSmart uh, used to have mm-hmm. pretty much at every store they had a cat area. Yes. They had like a cat shelter, and they would make deals with right. different rescues to make sure there were right. plenty of cats. And uh, so I, I volunteered there one day a week. But as I came to the store once a week, I would always stop by the chinchilla uh, cage. Yeah. They were just so cute. And, yeah, there's gophers yeah. and guinea pigs and, and rats yeah. and mice. And they have a certain charm of their own. But these chinchillas, they were just like little tiny babies. And I used to That's just, right. I used to come early so I could stand there and watch them for a while. Um, and people forget about that, that it isn't just dogs and cats. That's right. Oh, my gosh. In fact, you know, I was thinking uh, this is the Chinese Lunar New Year, right? Soon. Yes. And it's the year of the rabbit coming up. So we have lots of rabbits always. And they make great pets, too. They're fun and, and cuddly. And although you do have. And to I believe they can be litter box trained as well. They can be litter box trained. Absolutely. Indeed. Um and they, you know, depending on the personality, a lot of them like to run around and jump around with your dog or your cat, if the dog or cat lets them. Um, mm-hmm. And others are more solitary. But, uh, yeah, there's there's always rabbits available uh, at our shop. Craig, I know that you um, have actual human patients as well as pet patients at Mark Drugs. Are people, uh, as in your experience, are people less inclined to be allergic to a rabbit or then, like, if you're allergic to a cat, does that mean you're going to be allergic to rabbits, or is there a difference? Oh, there's a huge difference. And, and you can be allergic to just about anything. It's really a matter of uh, the allergy. Uh, certainly, you don't want to take something like Claritin or, or Benadryl or something like that to control um, your allergies. And you can also over- overcome allergies. Um, if you're uh, exposed to the allergen in small doses, uh, for example, uh, 
uh, before I got married, I was allergic to cats. And guess what? My wife had a cat. So you know what's going to happen there if I first started hanging out with more often, when I, when I first started getting introduced to our little rescue pumpkin, uh, I need a little bit of dirt to kind of acclimate myself to pumpkins. And down the road, I didn't need it quite as often. Now, if you have uh, a severe allergy, or about people don't go into a flat shop, they're allergic to dog dander, cat dander, or in this case, a rabbit. Um, but uh, if you have a mild allergy where you get the stuffy eye or the, the stuffy nose and the runny eyes, and you have a, maybe a scratchy throat, these are allergies that humans can overcome over time. You don't just go head first into you know, putting your right into the offending uh, allergens, you know, to get too intimate with a with a, a feline or whatever you happen to be allergic to. But as you get acclimated and become a little bit more resistant to the effects that you have when you're exposed to these allergens, you can overcome these, aller- these allergens. Now, certainly a human can have an allergy to a canine or a leg or especially feline more commonly or it's something that a lot of humans have allergies for, but you have to keep in mind the different types of animals. So a feline that has longer hair, oddly enough, someone who has a sensitivity, they actually will probably tolerate that animal a little bit more than a short-haired cat because it's not the hair. It's the skin. It's the hair. It's, the, um, it's, it's what's underneath the hair that becomes the problem. So The dander? It's the dander. Correct. Yeah. So that's typically the protein that sets people off to get exposed to it. So uh, the, I guess the long and short of it is that just because you have a sensitivity to a certain animal, whatever it might be, um, if you go about it methodically and, and expose yourself to the allergen in small doses over a long period, and you can become desensitized to that particular animal. Now, that doesn't mean that the next cat that I get uh, too close with won't cause me a problem, <laughs> or even with pumpkin. If I if she's really getting cuddly, my eyes will start to walk. Or if I take my contacts out after you know a, a pet session, this is in trouble. But uh, just keep in mind, just because you're sensitive to a certain animal, whatever it might be, um, it's the dander that you're actually having uh, allergic reaction to. You can take some mild antihistamines in the short term. But in the long term, after constant exposure at lower, at small uh, doses at a time, you can overcome these allergies. So just you're sensitive and, to a spinal doesn't mean you can't take care of one. And Craig, isn't it also true that it's sometimes it's the individual pet? I've heard people say, well, you know, I'm not allergic to this cat, but when I'm around that cat, I react. It, I mean, that's, and people, some people have said, oh, that's not true. It's got to be all or nothing. But I believe it's true. Well, it's, it's, it's definitely not all or nothing. And uh, different animals give off different types of, uh, you know, different amounts of dander. Like I said earlier, uh, with longer hair, actually, a lot of the dander gets caught in the fur. It stays there and it doesn't go out uh. of the environment as much as a short haired, which every little bit of dried skin is going to falling the animal, you're, that animal, that, that feline is going to be shedding more dander than one that actually has or that holds it. And then people go to the group and get cut 
and the hair has been cut more recently, then they're more li- if you're sensitive to, the, to that particular animal, then you're more likely to have a reaction after they've just been to the groomer. Um, we are doing our regular Pet of the Month sponsored segment. Tracy Elliott, president and CEO of Anti-Cruelty, is here. Pharmacist Craig Bodogowski from Mark Drugs is here. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to introduce our new WCPT Pet of the Month. His name is Apollo, and we will tell you all about Apollo when we come right back after this. There's no excuse to miss Joan Esposito. It's number one on my stereo. Live, local, and progressive. You can listen to her daily at WCPT820.com on your computer or phone. WCPT820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. Don't turn that dial. A dangerous mistake to make. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. We are sending you into the weekend with our Pet of the Month segment. Tracy Steele. Tracy Steele. Where did I get that? I think I'm making you a former head of the RNC, uh, Tracy. (laughs) Michael Steele. We've been talking politics too. too, No, Craig Budagowski from Mark Drugs and (laughs) Tracy Elliott from uh, Anti-Cruelty are here. And our new pet of the month. You know, we always have some real cuties, but I think that... Apollo, our pet for this month, has got to be just about the cutest dog we have ever featured on Pet of the Month. And this, oh my God, you just want to give him hugs and snuggles. Uh, Tracy, tell us what you know about Apollo. We don't know his background because he came on a on one of our southern transports. Um, but he definitely, as the, the the description on the website says, uh, he shows us his personality very clearly. He's super friendly, uh, very enthusiastic, lots of energy, um, loves to run. As you can see on the picture, he smiles. Um, just an adorable <laughs> dog. Going to need a. Uh, a human or human family that has some patience that can help him with impulse control, do some training, and get him lots of exercise. Now, he's described as a teenager. What does that mean? <laughs> well, he's a couple years old, and I I, okay. I don't have his kennel card right here in front of me, so I'm not sure the exact age, but, you know, not a, not a puppy, but not an adult yet either. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of has teenage energy, if you will. Um, but, and... He looks sort of smallish, smallish medium, would you say? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not a big dog. Leggy, as you can see. He's tall. Oh, my God, yes. Uh, but he's slim, and so not, not heavy, and uh, uh, kind of goofy, and, you know, kind of awkward, goofy like, uh, like a teenager, <laughs> but just, a, uh, just adorable. Um, but but it's going to need someone who will really be patient with him and work with him. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's fully grown? Yes, definitely. Really? Definitely. Yeah, he's he's beyond he's beyond his growth phase. Um, yep, yeah, I, I can't imagine with all those legs he could grow much taller. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's he really, really does have like supermodel legs. Yes, yes, absolutely. So I think that for me though, the smile is is yeah. just beyond adorable. He's a he's definitely a happy dog. 
is he'll be um, happier when he's at home. Of course, yes, he'll definitely be happier when he's at home. They always are. I mean, it's yes. it's a it's it's a, I mean, it's better being at the shelter is better than being a stray out on the street. Correct. You know, there's no question Correct. about that. But still, it's not anywhere near the same no, as um, as having a lovely family. By the way, Tracy, during the break, Craig uh, sent me a picture <laughs> of the cat that he lives with, and he said she oh, knows Lord. I'm talking about her. First of all, Craig, she's oh, really? beautiful. Oh yeah, yeah, she's a, a gorgeous um, tabby, a female tabby, which is very rare. But uh, but yeah, I, I do encourage the folks at home to. You know, look into adopting someone like Apollo or uh, a feline, if that's more your your. your that's right. Working with anti-cruelty is that uh, let, let's say you're on the fence. You can actually go to anti-cruelty and, and, for lack of a better word, borrow Apollo for a weekend. That's right. That's right. You have to uh, do some some training, some basic training. It's not difficult, um, but once you get that done. You're actually able to take Apollo for a walk if that's all you think you can take, you can handle. That's right. I'll tell you what, that's if you right. take, Thank if you you take Apollo for a walk, if you take Apollo for a walk, you're going to get some attention. People are going to want to, you know, and, and knowing that Apollo, the age, like you said, he's not going to grow anymore, but he's going to mature. You know, so right now he's going to be a right. playful puppy. Mm-hmm. He's not a puppy, but he's going to be playful and, and one of those dogs that people want to be around. So that's, that's right. uh, just one of the benefits of working with this particular agency that sets it apart from others that I've worked with in the past, that you're able to dedicate as much time as you can to this this process. And if you end up like Joan and end up being a foster failure and end up adopting <laughs> such an animal, well, then I think this is uh, a great thing. This is, this is just something that um, makes anti-cruelty above and beyond and aside from that the support that you get from them if you've adopted the animal you're not on your own it's not up to you to figure out how to get things done where where what kind of uh, doctor visits the animal needs so working with this particular agency just uh, it, it really helps you to kind of make sure that you are ready to be a um, you know to not necessarily fostering but actually adopting an animal yeah. and also, there's no question that if something happens, something changes in your life, or you take the animal in and it just doesn't work out because of other animals or your, your particular living situation, they will take the animal back. But they That's do true. their homework and they make sure that you're a good candidate to actually take an animal into your house. So um, I just wanted to, to mention that, that uh, you are getting a full service when you're working with anti-cruelty. Absolutely. And support going, going forward. And, and another thing I want to point out, Tracy, you were saying that Apollo is, um, wants to have a lot of fun. He's a real high energy dog. Um, that doesn't usually, well, there are exceptions, but usually the most high energy dog settles down, um, after a while, particularly with training and some structure in their lives, and then they get a little bit of age on them. I mean, we adopted Willow from a rescue. He's a um, mostly Australian Shepherd, you know, a kind of a herding kind of a dog, and those dogs tend to be um, kind of high energy. You know, he wants to run, he wants to be outside, but he is. And I frankly thought to myself, 
you know, I would go over to people's houses and they'd be having parties and their dog would be walking around. And I was like, oh, my God, will my dog ever be that calm? And Willow is. He's only two and a half. He's well, he's coming up on three and he has just like totally zenned out. It's I mean, um, he um, joined my book group last night. And instead of book, we spent a half an hour talking about Willow because he charmed mm. each and every one of the women right. who was sitting at the, at the table. And it, you think it's, especially when you're dealing with that puppy energy, you think it's never, ever going to change. And then it does. Yes, that's right. Well, first of all, you both are hired. You uh, are now in our marketing department because you do a better job than I do of, of promoting what we do. So thank you, Craig, and thank you all, Joan. That's true. You know, I, I adopted two puppies during the, the pandemic because I lost both of my dogs in a very short period of time. said I would never get a puppy again, and I doubled. I was doubly incorrect. I got them both, uh, two, <laughs> and they were both foster failures, so, but, and they're both energetic. But um, it, it's true. They're both beginning. They're, they're uh, let's see, three and two. Now, yeah, three and two years old. They're almost a year apart, and they are starting to settle down, particularly the Australian catalog, because, you know, they, they, they're they workers. They want to work. They want a job. Mm-hmm. Um, so she wants to play all the time, but she's getting longer and longer in her, you know, quiet period, so it's nice, um, but she still loves to run, so I take her to the park, and she just has a blast, but but the, we also have dogs that, that, that will be compatible with a different lifestyle, you know, quieter um, dogs that don't have as much energy and would just rather sit on your lap. So, and, and we please don't forget about older in. dogs. Older, older dogs, dogs are exactly. wonderful, and they, they already are. are almost always potty trained. You know, they're not going to go through that where that phase where they eat every shoe and every table leg right. they can get a hold of. That's right. Um, older dogs are amazing. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, we appreciate you mentioning that. And same thing with older cats. We've got a, a fairly senior kitty cat in the shelter right now who's just lovely um, and just mm-hmm. wants to, a lap to sit on. You know, um, people people die or people get sick or people get you know have to go to a facility or something and and can't keep their dogs or cats who are older. And uh, it's you know it's very sad, but um, it's really more sad for the person. Because an older dog or an older cat will bond with a new human. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so there's still a lot of life left and a lot of love left for those animals to give. Well, um, if somebody wants to meet Apollo, I don't believe as of this moment we have Apollo up on our website yet. But I promise you Apollo will be up there soon. And I promise yeah. you keep checking the website because whether or not you're in the market for a dog, you want to see this cute little smiling face. Um, but if That's people right. want to meet Apollo, um, what do they do, Tracy? Um, we uh, have shifted our hours a bit of late. So the best thing to do is to go on our website um, and and kind of see when we are open for the public to come in and where we're doing, we're doing a appointment only. Um, and just give us a call, uh, to let us know you're coming in or to make an appointment. We are open still a number of days for walk-ins, uh, the weekends for sure. And, uh, just come in and, and say you want to meet him and you might want to meet a couple of other animals as well while you're there. And then also our website has, uh, a live, uh, a feed for who is adoptable and up for adoption 
at any moment. So as soon as an animal becomes adoptable, it gets on the website. As soon as an animal is adopted, it, it, it's taken down. So you can go to anticruelty.org backslash adopt and see every animal that's available at every moment. You know, Tracy, how they have those weather cams, like people attach them to their house where you can just dial up the website and you can watch the weather. We ought to have a bunch of puppy cams and dog cams in the in the area where they all get to interact. Oh, my God. I would watch that so many hours a day. (laughs) I agree. I agree. We are uh, we're in the process of transforming our our cat adopts area from a caged environment to a free roam environment is probably going to be six to eight months, maybe a year before we complete it. But that's one of the things we've thought about doing is in one of the free roaming rooms to set up a, a live feed so you can watch kitties. Um, uh, we don't have a puppy room yet, but that's coming as well. Uh, we're doing some work on the building and we're going to have a puppy room. And uh, I, it just, you just gave me an inspiration to perhaps set up a, a live feed. In, puppy in cam. Well, I'm all yeah, about puppy exactly. cam. Tracy, thank you so much. Craig, it is always a pleasure. Thank you, Craig. And thank you for the two of you for doing all that you can to promote pets and adoption. Our Pet of the Month segment will be back. uh, What month is this? This is January. (laughs) It'll be back in February. I get confused. Uh, And that's going to do it for me. Driving at Home with Petty Vasquez is next. Please, if you have the weekend off, find something to do that brings you joy. Maybe go visit some animals and anti-cruelty. I will see you on Monday. Have a great weekend. Good night.